0: Good morning. Morning. Grace and peace to you. We hadn't sung that Jesus is Lord for quite a while. That's probably in my top three. I still am lingering. A hard time getting through it. What a sorrow. I lost him. Do we understand Rick's words at the table, Jason's prayer, who Jesus is? I mean, it's all about him. There's nothing else matters but Jesus. That's life. That's this whole planet. It's all civilization. The reason for humanity. Nothing else matters. Like Rick said, trying to understand the love of God—that He he would become one of us, one of His creation, one of His creatures, and live among us—and you know, as I understand the Scripture, He's ever going to be a man in a glorified body for all eternity, so we can live with Him, be with Him, talk with Him, fellowship with Him. What an incredible God we serve. So we talked this morning about looking for Jesus. But we're going to start out talking about Pokemon. The Pokemon Go craze. I know if you have middle schoolers or teenagers, they're probably doing it. Maybe younger than that. And I would expect some of you adults are doing it. I see a smile back there. <laughs> some of you probably don't even know what Pokemon Go is. So I'll try to explain it very briefly. Or I don't know. Well, I wouldn't have Ryan or Logan stand up. They'd, they could do a better job than me, but it's a game that's played on your smartphone. It has a grid in real. It's like a GPS thing where you can go through town. Your town, it's all over the world. You're doing it in Australia, doing it in Ukraine, and other countries. And they have, what are they called, stops? Pokemon stops, and they have gyms, and you go hunt for these monsters, these Pokemon monsters, and you capture them. But you have to walk through town on your grid to these places to capture them. So there's some pluses here. Of course, it's a game, and we know kids are into video games. Some of you adults are into video games. I know that. I played one or two. They can be very addictive. But the plus here, this gets them out of the house. They have to get out of the house to play this game. They have to walk down the street to play this game. So that's a big plus there. Uh, and they have to go somewhere, you know. And and there's excitement here, there's fun, you know, with the games and all that kind of a thing. And uh, they're very intense about it. In fact, if you you get a newspaper or even the Internet, maybe even on TV, you've seen a lot of warnings about this game. Because people are so intense about chasing and capturing these Pokemon. That they get in trouble. Some people have walked off cliffs. They walk into traffic. Some, uh, I think it was down in one of the Central American countries, actually went into somebody's house. And they got shot. Or they trespassed. So there's dangers there, too. But the devotion and dedication, you know, people are so into this that they want to capture the Pokemon. So you're saying, okay, Jeff, all right, what's this got to do with us, all right? What's this have to do with our faith? Well, I was just wondering, you know, we, get, we, see, we see that excitement, that devotion, that joy, that intensity of searching for the Pokemon. Why don't we have the same intensity and joy of looking for Jesus, Maybe you think you've found him already. I hope you have. Some have not. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. All your heart. Now, I find this most, and I never thought of this before. I've read this scripture dozens of times. I've used it in lessons before. I never thought of this before, was, of course, in this context, this is about God. But Of course, we're talking about Jesus. But here in the context with the Jews, this is about the Lord God. Wasn't the Lord God already their God? Yes, amen. But what does he say? You need to search for me and find me because evidently they hadn't found him yet. You know, they were into their ritual. They were still following worldly things. That was their, that was their passion. The world. Stuff. The things of the, the nations around them. And so the implication here is the need to search... And the need to search with intensity, with passion, which involves time and effort, and a focus of our minds and hearts. We need to do that. So that's what we're going to talk about. Looking for Jesus. John 1. Just a little bit more of introduction here in the first century early on in the first century some of Jesus disciples those who were searching actually found him when he was on the earth John 135 this is at the time of John the Baptist he came he was preaching about the word uh, need to repent the kingdom of heaven was at hand okay he had baptized the lord Jesus The spirit had descended on him in the form of a dove. God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son. Okay. Verse 35 in John 1 again. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus and Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translates, Translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. They have found him. That means they were looking for him. And, you know, God was helping people in those days find the Messiah, Jesus. Because he had sent John the Baptist, right? That was John the Baptist's main mission. To point people to Jesus. He has come. The Lamb of God. And one of the other uh, gospel writers says, who takes away the sin of the world. And that tells us it was about a spiritual kingdom. It was not about reestablishing a kingdom like David's. It was a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John the Baptist was instrumental in helping people look for and find Jesus. Even in those days, in fact, uh, historically, Israel had just come through a period of about 400 years in which there had been no word from God. It was the intertestamental period, as it's often called. There was no prophet arisen, no dreams, no vision, no word from God whatsoever, until John came on the scene, and he starts to point people: the Messiah is coming. He's coming. You're going to see him soon. And finally, he did come, and he was in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. I can hear the excitement in Andrew's voice. Verse forty-one. We have found the Messiah. Every generation of Jews had been waiting for the Messiah, hoping he would come in their generation. And Andrew says, We've found him. We've found him. Verse 43. The next day he purposed to go, meaning Jesus, into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip's excited. He goes to get Nathanael. He says, We've found him. We've found him. The devoted and searching heart was always looking for the coming one. It was prepared, it was open and ready and searching for Jesus. I want us to note well: they found Him as a person, God in the form of a person, 100% God, 100% man. They found him, God in the flesh. They did not find seven steps to a better life. They did not find five keys to happiness. They did not find rules for better relationships or four ways to holy living. Or even a plan of salvation or a table of commandments. They found a person. Jesus of Nazareth. Now he embodied a lot of those things. But our salvation is wrapped up in a human being. In God being a man. And this is what God calls us into that relationship with him. That's why the first two great commandments. Or I should just say the first one in the Old Testament was love. Love. The Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's where it all starts. When you understand God, when you understand Jesus, is a real being, a person. And He wants you to be in that relationship with Him, that loving relationship. John 3:16 probably the most quoted scripture in all of the Bible for God so loved the world that means humanity. He loved. John writes we love him because he first loved us. They found him. It's an incredible concept. The pagan world would never have thought of that. You know, as far as gods. Gods were capricious. Some gods were evil. Some were wicked. They really didn't care about man. All they wanted was to get something from mankind. That was their picture of their gods. But not the true and living God. He really does love us. Absolutely and totally. And he has demonstrated that love at the cross, and time and time again in people's lives. He will never stop loving you. Okay, but now, Jesus was crucified, even as Brian read there for us this morning. We remembered him around the table. He died, was buried, resurrected, went back, and he's now sitting at the right hand of God, reigning in his kingdom. So how do we find him today? Because he's not going to be here in person like he was for Peter, Andrew, and Nathaniel, and Philip. How do we find him today? Well, we can. We can. He has not left us away that we cannot find him. In fact, God wants us to find him. He's not hiding He's not hiding. He's readily visible and available to all people. If We just, again, open our hearts and search for him. John 5, 39. The first place we find Jesus is in the scriptures. Jesus says this himself. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Notice again, me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you might have life. So many of the Jews of the day, especially the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and others, They just could not get it in their heads that this was God in the flesh. When he started talking about his father in heaven, they picked up the stones to stone him because they knew what that meant, that he was the son of God living in a body. And they wouldn't accept it. But this is what you and I, for Christians, believe, isn't it? This is the amazing thing about our God. He became one of us. And the scriptures relate this story, even from the very beginning, that this was the plan of God in Genesis chapter 3.15. That one would come to bruise the serpent's head, and he did that at Golgotha. The scriptures are the story of God. They reveal God, his character, his will, his purposes, his heart, his desire for creation, his desire for us. If we're just looking for facts, oh, they're there. If we're looking for rules, they're there. If we're looking for what's in it for me, you might find something. But if that's all you're looking for, guess what? You'll miss him. You'll miss him. God wrote through one of the prophets all day long. I've held out my hands an obstinate people he says here I am sometimes I think we're afraid of God we're afraid of the closeness that he wants we're afraid of really opening ourselves up to him and putting everything on him and that's why we kind of tend to say well I'll just do these things I'll just keep keep some of these rules and I don't want to really get close to you Lord when we do that, the relationship falters and, and we miss out. We miss out on what God wants for us. So we find Jesus in the scriptures. The second place, let's go to Romans 1. Where do we find, where do we find the Lord? We find him in creation. We find him in creation. Colossians 1.16, I don't have that on your list, but you can go there. Because it says there, everything was created by the Lord Jesus for him, and through him. He was present in creation because he's God. He's part of the Godhead. The word became flesh, John chapter 1. And so he is in creation. Let's look in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Now, see, here's the picture of a lot of these uh, atheistic scientists today. All they believe in is naturalism and materialism. But they suppress the truth. I believe it's uh, Richard Dawkins in one of his books talks about him with his lab students. Dawn, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Where they're looking in the microscope at some of these things and he says, now he says, these all these things look like they're designed, but they're not. That's what he said. They look like they're designed, but they're not. What, what is that? That's just a pure rejection of God, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse for not seeing God in creation. That's what the word says. There's none. There's more than enough evidence. The only reason you don't see God is because you don't want to see God. You suppress the truth. The Lord is everywhere in his created world. His mind, his heart, his wisdom, it's all there. His power, it's all there. His beauty, his complexity... Whether you talk of the vastness of the universe, how huge it is, and how it continues to expand, even as scientists see now. I had this question in in my own mind the other day. What's on the other side of the edge of the universe? Is there something there? This is something to ponder. The wonders of a cell, the subatomic particles, and it seems like we keep finding more and more subatomic particles. How huge some things are, how microscopic some things are. We're watching the hummingbirds now on our mimosa tree. Fantastic. How could they have just come to be? I mean I can't I can't get into all the details. The the seed cycle, you know, you plant something and it grows. You plant a little seed and it grows into a giant tomato plant and makes red tomatoes for you to eat. How'd that just happen? The egg cycle. Chicken lays the egg and Few days, few weeks, whatever it is. Denzel's not here to tell us. There's a chick. There's a chick. How's that just happen? And I love to think about fish. Fish are strange. Whenever you're fishing, you know, the scripture is full of fish. You ever notice that? The disciples were fishermen. Peter was told to go catch a, put his line in the water, and the first fish to come up, he's going to get the money to pay the temple tax for himself and for Jesus. I'll make you fishers of men. And just the fact, you know, here you've got a creature that lives in the water and gets oxygen out of the water. How'd that happen? Your eye, your ear, your brain. The digestive system. I was thinking about this the other day. Say, Jeff, be quiet. You know, how all this supposedly, according to the evolutionists, it just developed. And, of course, it wasn't guided by anything. It was actually all pure chance and randomness. That any animal or human being would develop a digestive system and would know that it had to be able to break down broccoli, green beans, roast beef, carrots, apples, oranges, and be able to break all those whatever's in there down and then draw from all that the nutrients necessary to sustain your body. How does that happen by chance? Okay, um, what kind of God can do? All- in creation, we can find him. Look for Jesus in creation. See his glory and his beauty. Number three, Matthew 25. We see the Lord in your neighbor. In your neighbor. We remember this picture of the Judgment. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed, my father, and at the king prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Oh, yeah, it's, it's been there for us. This is what he wanted for us. So don't ever think it was an afterthought. This is part of the love of God from the foundation of the world. This is my plan for you. Oh, for I was hungry And you gave me something to eat. Notice the me again. Notice the relationship thing. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them... Did it to me. Every one of us made what? In the image of God. Jesus came in the likeness of men, didn't he? Notice the flip-flop. To identify with us. In all of our trials, troubles, pains, heartaches, the temptations, yet without sin. To be one of us. He became our champion, captain, savior, high priest, and as it says here, our brother. Our brother. He took care of our greatest need, which was our sin, and he overcame it. And we see a fellow human, fellowship, right? Church is the body of Christ, the fellowship, a brotherhood, togetherness, love one another. When we see a fellow human, a fellow traveler in need, whatever that need, food or clothing, loneliness, grief, deceived and believing lies, lost from God, we need to see the Lord looking back at us. now what he said here we need to see the lord another human being made in the image of god you can find him anywhere and lastly from john 12 you find him on the cross Well, you say, Jeff, now wait a minute. He was crucified, like you just said. He was buried, raised. He's the right hand of the Father, yes. But in, in many ways, through Scripture, for the lost and even for the saved, Jesus is still on the cross because it's the cross, the gospel, that still saves us. John 12, 32 and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. The cross is still the most powerful drawing force on this earth. Again, as Brian read this morning, they made fun of him, they mocked him, they put the crown of thorns on him, the robe, and they beat him. And then they let him out and crucified him. In many ways, he's still there. He's still drawing people. There's still the power. God, crucified for his creation. The love of God being manifest. The sin of man manifests on the cross. That they would reject their God in such a terrible way. But even then, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Here is a God who is also a man, dying at the hands of evil men for the sake of all humanity. Here is God overcoming sin and evil. Here is God overcoming death and Hades. Here is God offering life eternal. As long as time remains, Jesus will be on his cross, drawing all people to himself. So there you have our thoughts. You see the kids out. Somebody walking down the street like this with their smartphone. You know what they're doing. They're searching for Pokemon. Maybe something will go off in your head and you'll say, Wow, am I looking for Jesus? Am I? He's everywhere. Have you found him? You want to respond to the Lord this morning. This God who loves you and gave Himself for you to rescue you from the wrath of God to come, the total destruction that will come, and give you life. We're ready to assist you this morning. You can begin your walk with Him, become a new creation. We'll be happy to baptize you into Christ Jesus, into His name. If you are a Christian, and your walk is not what it should be. Oh, you're too tied up in the world. Maybe you're looking for Pokemon, but you're not looking for Jesus. You need to change. If you'd like for us to pray with you this morning, maybe you want to rededicate your life, repent. Maybe there's something just going on. You need us all to pray for you. However we might help you this morning, let us know while we stand and sing.